When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 409 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Ian Hilton, and while it's been a while, I'm so excited to head into the World Cup break with the return of one-third of Siempre Positivo, Sam Marsden. With everything happening in the last week, thanks so much for taking the time, Sam. Hey, Dan. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me on again, and apologies for the delay. It's been a while, and it's been I need to hold my hands up. It's been 24 hours longer than it should have been as well, because we were supposed to record on Thursday, recording on Friday in the end, because I completely forgot and messed up the time so apologies and, we, and hello <laughs> yeah i mean we're very forgiving of siempre positivo as long as you continue to bring listeners from your show onto our show because of these collaborations i mean that's really that's really the whole point of the game but i also have to say in the siempre positivo power rankings rick i think has been on three times this is your second appearance and tony is still at one so so you're working your way towards towards rick if it is any competition yeah, yeah, you managed to get Tony on once, then in the end, it's hard to it's hard to pin down sometimes. Yeah, I must have hit the right week, but I think we also scheduled like two months out, so I think that's that's usually how it works with Tony. But yeah. all right, so speaking of what you guys will be covering, or let's say having a little bit more of a break, depending on your your coverage schedule. First things first for today's show is about the World Cup, and that is hitting them with the day's news before we get to PK and Osuna and all that stuff. The Spain squad was announced by Luis Enrique, and Barca will see Pedri, Gabi. Ansu Fati, Busquets, Ferran Torres, Eric Garcia, and Jordi Alba. All of those heading to the World Cup, which means no Alejandro Balde, but yes to Ansu Fati. Is that a surprise to you? Any of those names? Any of those omissions? On the Barca side of things, I don't think I'm really that surprised. I think with the 26-man squad, obviously in the past it's been 23, but with that extra three, I think it gives you a little bit of room to... Not so much take a chance on Ansu because he's been fit this season, but obviously, you know, he's not the Ansu that he was. I mean, obviously, we were very fleeting glimpses we've had of him even when he was sort of, you know, 16, 17. So it's hard to say what he was and what he will be. Uh, but with that 26-man squad, I did kind of expect it. And I was thinking at first I wasn't 100% sure, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought Luis Enrique would do it as much as for this tournament, just as the reasons that you think, you know, Ansu is a player who's going to be important for the national team moving forward, even if you don't see him as ahead of perhaps, you know, even Nico Williams or, or Morato or Ferran Torres or, or whoever it may be, Asensio. He's a player that you're going to have around the squad, you know, as you build this squad for the next two, four, six, eight years. So I think it's as important as much looking to the future as it is for this World Cup to, to call up Anto. And for that reason, I was, I was yeah, half, not, not half expecting, but I thought he would be in the, 
in the 26. And I was, I was surprised in the end that Balde wasn't in there. I was convinced that he was not going to be in the squad just because his breakout has just come a little bit too late, probably. Hasn't quite had enough time. And I know Luis Enrique obviously picked Gavi after six games, but in that left-back position... Spain are, I mean, you can, we can debate the merits of Jordi Alba in the form of his career, but in terms of Spain and international football, you know, Jordi Alba and Jose Luis Gaia have been sort of nailed on for, for Luis Enrique for a while. And to, you know, the option to therefore take Valde is to either make the big call to leave one of those guys out who've been, you know, a big part of the squad. And Gaia has been in great form at Valencia this season. I mean, against Barca, he was really good the other weekend. So yeah, it would have been a really big call to leave one of, one of those two out to take Valde. And then the other option is to, take Balde as the third left back. So I didn't think Balde would be in, but I was surprised in the end that he wasn't because I spoke to, I mean, this is Luis Enrique, keeps his cards close to his chest and keeps things quiet. But I spoke to different people, not even looking to, to run a story, just like speculating, about, oh, what do you think the squad will be? And there were people that were certain that Balde was going to be in there and that Sergio Ramos was also going to be, be recalled. And obviously neither of them were in there. My, my gut feeling was Balde would, would not be in there. No, but then I was kind of surprised because I was convinced by other people that maybe he would be. Well, I mean, whenever you're doing that and saying, well, who's omitted? It's it's the same thing with Olympics or any of these national teams, right? I always say, and that's the same thing, or NBA All-Star stuff, right? Like whenever anyone feels slighted or feels like somebody was omitted, then I always say, who's the player that you take out? Like you always have to make sure you're swapping somebody out because yeah, that player would probably deserve to be there, but who are you leaving? Balde is interesting because you're right. It's a like for like with Alba, but because I think Gaia is the starter, I mean, unequivocally the starter, it's seven games. Maybe he'll start all seven with the exception of maybe the third group stage game if Spain has already figured something out, but that's a really hard group. So there's this world where Gaia starts all three and Alba is the experienced backup. So you obviously, you want to bring an experienced backup. And you said it, Luis Enrique and Alba, while it wasn't perfect when they were at Barcelona together, it's been a pretty good union for the Spanish national team, especially of late. And then, you know, I, I think people are questioning that back line. And, you know, you wanted to ask Sergio Ramos that I conversation. And I guess it's Guillamon who's surprising you, uh, of the Valencian center back, well, defensive midfielder slash center back, but his versatility, I think, is what Guillemot makes, why he becomes the, what is he, the 24th, 25th, 26th name on that roster, and his versatility, I think, is what gets him there, and that's what Luis Enrique has employed before, and then you are putting a lot on, you'd expect it's Pau Torres and Laporte, uh, Amor Laporte, with with Eric Garcia pretty much backing him up, but then Aspilicueta can also play the center back. And he's at the right back back with Cava Hall. So, I mean, I actually think it's right back that you kind of raise questions for the Spanish national team. And I mean, center back maybe, but, you know, again, Eric Garcia is what? The third center back, which is what he in theory is for Barca, third or fourth center back. And then I think moving ahead to the forward, I think that's where the concern is, or the interesting concerns are that Ansu has had struggle with form and has not scored the goals this season. And Jeremy Pino from Villarreal has really broken out and been a bit of a star. And same with Nico Williams. but. They're also still teenagers as well, or maybe Pino, what, uh, Pino is what? I think 20 now, I think. And then, yeah, Nico Williams still 19. So you're talking about young players, three young players. And I think that's what Luis Enrique has also done. He said, all right, Alvaro Morato, Morata, be our guy, be our lead striker. Then between Asensio, who's also been really inconsistent and hot and cold this season, Almo has been, again, hot and cold at RB Leipzig as well. It's not like he's been really lighting up the world this season, though he's had some, a few good Champions League matchups. And then Pablo Sarabia, who you, you'd say that his level is not the elite level, but he's really useful. Uh, he's a useful player. That's, that's how I explain Sarabia. And he hopes that Ferran Torres can be useful. And so those, those are your forwards. And I, I wonder, when push comes to shoves, if this Spanish national team doesn't have a forward necessarily where you can put the weight of the world on their shoulders. And I think that's why he's going with young players who might be just blind to the fact that they're in the, the Copa Mundial, throw something against the wall, and maybe one of those players sticks. Like It wouldn't surprise me if Pino ends this tournament with three goals, or, or even if Ansu ended this tournament with three goals, or Nico Williams, right? Like One of those players can break out. And then we didn't talk about the midfield. I don't think we need to. The midfield is deep and the best part of the Spanish national team. Yeah, yeah, the midfield is good. And the, the, the attack, it reminds me a little bit really of Euro 2020. Luis Enrique's obviously got a couple of guys in there that he, that he likes. I mean, the other one would have been Oyatabal, but obviously he's injured. You know, Dani Almo, Dani, Dani Almo and Pablo Sarabia are two players that he often goes to and have often produced for him for Spain. I think what we see is what we see in the Euros. I think we see, if not loads of rotation, we see a little bit like how Barca managed that front three, I guess, in terms of, you know, we see players playing for an hour and then we see, you know, Nico Williams and Pino coming on for, you know, the last half an hour of games um, to provide perhaps that impetus out wide in terms of pace or, or something different. Um, and that will probably be 
the Ansu's role as well. But like you say, it also depends on how the how the group games go, what sort of flexibility they have going into their last game and stuff. And and yeah, I guess the, the not the surprise so much, but it's just that there is no natural backup for Alvaro Morata. I know Luis Enrique says, you know, Asensio, Ansu Fati, Ferran Torres, they can all play as sort of a, a number nine to to a degree. But I kind of expected or thought that I thought not. I'd, I don't. I don't mind it. I don't hate the decision, but I think I expected that Borja Iglesias would go just as that hmm. that option. Yeah, but then again, you take out one of those young players, so I, I would say a little bit of surprise too that there isn't more experience. But I think again, Luis Enrique, we have seen with his selection before. He kind of goes for broke. He says, "I go with the potential. I go with the ability for a player. You know, with the high. No offense to Borja Iglesias, but the higher ceiling is one of these players like completely going nuts and breaking out and being being as magnanimous as a young player can be." But speaking of players who were not called to the team, I don't think anyone really expected Gerard Piquet. I think there were some rumors and there's some fun stuff happening about that. But obviously, Gerard Piquet was not going to be named to the World Cup squad by Luis Enrique because, yeah, now we focus on Gerard Piquet. And I was going to say the whole rest of the show is going to be about Piquet, but I have to say we're going to basically have to do a Piquet segment, then an Osasuna segment because Barca did have some other plan to get Osasuna, and we do have to focus on that in a bit. So for Piquet... You know, I don't know really where you want to focus here. I, I think there are basically three big, big topics to discuss. And I guess one would be how fun was it that he ended his Barca career the way he did, uh, getting a red card at halftime, getting sent off before he could even hit the field after having that huge ovation at the camp now that you were at and all that fun stuff. Becoming Barca's most ever sent off player, by the way, with 11 red cards equaling the great Christo uh, Stoiskopf. And in Stoyskov's defense, he did it in way less games. So PK <laughs> does not have that honor. So Stoyskov still has the honor of being the being the uh, the biggest curmudgeon for Barca uh, in their history. But yeah, gets gets knocked off at halftime. Yeah, then we can talk about his his big career. But then also the fact that this is unsurprising as well. And you covered this his interview with with Ebi, the the Twitch star, and that pivot into business immediately. He didn't even wait literally a week. He did not wait even three days before he pivoted, said, hey, I got a lot of stuff in the works, and here's the next thing. And to me, it's almost a little bit of exhaustion. Like I just wanted a little bit of a break from Pete. I wanted him to like, I just wanted to know that he sat down for a week and thought about his career and got all sentimental and all that, but he didn't. He spent two days preparing his next step. But as he also said in those comments in the interview, if not for Araujo and Kunde getting hurt, he would have retired earlier. So I, I think that actually hurts it a little bit and says, well, Inter Milan, he was already planning on being retired. And yet he still makes the mistakes he made. And I don't know, like that, it puts a bad taste in my mouth just a bit that he already had these plans to, to walk away. And yet he said, oh, you were forcing me to do this. And yet being forced to do, I mean, being forced to have a poor performance is, it's, 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 a, it's a rough one at the end of a, a really wonderful legacy. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Puyol or Piquet and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, well, yeah, a lot to unpack there. I think first of all was in, well, obviously, like you say, there were rumours about him being in the World Cup squad. And Luis Enrique did confirm that he was on that 55-man pre-list. Um, mm. If anything, as like a, you know, like a backup if, you know, there were injuries or whatnot. So it's probably a long way down there. But it's interesting, interesting I mean, in itself. Names. 55 names, a lot of names. I think you might have been just on the bubble of 55 names. Like, that's a well, lot of if, if you think about it, there's, you, you take 26, so you basically pick two squads. So he's in, like, the, right. the, the, the second squad, if you think about it like that, which is... I don't know. I guess it's just interesting in itself because obviously he'd retired. So I don't know if he'd had some sort of sounding out from Luis Enrique. Luis Enrique didn't explain whether he'd say, look, if we are short, would you be interested? You'd imagine maybe something would have would have gone on there. But but yeah, no, no Gerard Piquet at the World Cup. That would have been, been one way to one way to go. It would have been quite Piquet to go out that way, actually. Yeah. And I guess just in terms of the business, I think this one, I'm not think this is obviously something that had been because obviously with this project that he's launched I don't know too much about this King's Cup which sort of combines real football with esports from what I can tell and different things I haven't looked into it too much but obviously with that launch being on Thursday night like you say just two days after his retirement I think that was planned for that day anyway because it obviously coincides with the start of the the break that Barca have got now for the World Cup and PK had obviously promised Joanne Laporta at the start of the season that he would take a side step and wouldn't be the face of anything for for now and stuff. So he was obviously waiting for this break to, to launch that project, regardless of whether he was needed to, to play or not. And I was, I don't know about you, but I was actually, look, I don't, the, the, the referee Gil Manthano's report, I presume most of your listeners would have seen what PK supposedly said and whatnot and his tirade of sort of abuse against the referee, you know, a referee famous for adding Lewandowski now to his list of red cards along with Messi, Neymar, Suarez, um, and a referee mm-hmm. who, you know, Barca fans, Barca famously think, you know, uh, screws them, as PK did say, or or, be- or damages them. Um, I kind of, yeah, while not promoting the language using the thing, I kind of thought it would have been better for PK to go out, you know, like as if it was like pre-planned, him going out with the, that tirade of abuse to Gil Manzano. But obviously in the interview, he said that, you know, it's not quite how the referee's report has explained it, which for me, I don't know about you, was a little bit disappointing. Like you said, it kind of felt like a great send-off, PK going out with this. Um, and um, as I spoke to Tony about as well earlier this week, this idea that it was almost like, you know, PK's first act, even though he's said, you know, the presidency and something which is on his mind right now, it definitely was playing to, to that tune, wasn't it? You know, look at me standing up for Barca, going after the referees, protecting protecting the club. The first card of his, you know, presidency campaign, whether it's in, you know, four years or 10 years. Yeah, I, I think him being the character that he is, I think that's what's also going to define his legacy a bit. As I said, I think there are those those stars, those legends of the game that step away and you only remember their playing career in this fond way. And yet you have players like PK. And I think Danny Alves will be the exact same thing where he's just up in your face. There's just news and business up in your face. And, and I wonder, Sam, if that's going to make us remember more the last few months or the last few years. Like you remember him just as he was, if that makes sense, as he transitions, as opposed to a player where if he had been gone for a little bit, I think, or let's say he steps away for seven, eight years and you don't really think of him. And then the things you think of are, as we kind of talk about, you know, his greater legacy, you think of the Manita, things like that. So, I mean, like his highlights here, I just want to run through some of them. Scoring the sixth goal in the 6-2 El Clasico win at the Santiago Bernabeu in 2009. I want to remind people of that. Scoring the Champions League semifinal against Inter in 2010. And even though they lost, that was the one, if you remember watching that game, that was the one that gave them hope. 
it made them believe that they can come back. The most recent big moment he had was last March against Sevilla in the Copa del Rey semis, scoring the goal to send the game to extra time in that exciting match. And then, you know, internationally, you said, why would he be picked for the World Cup? Well, take you back 12 years, a really gutsy game against Switzerland in that one loss to start the 2010 World Cup. Like, I think that was actually the game where even in that 2009 in, in the, the six trophies, he was seen, I think, as a bit of a pretty boy, as like the, the, the rich grandson of the vice president. And at that time, right around the 2010 World Cup was a connection between he and Shakira. So he was seen, I think, as this, you know, this pretty boy who was and, and obviously the foil in every way to Puyol. But then he gets that gnarly cut above his right eye and he plays the rest of the tournament looking, I mean, looking like he's seen the worst of it in a boxing match. So obviously started all of those games to win the World Cup. And I think that really helped along with the Barca to solidify just what his level was. And 2016 at the Euro had the huge header against the Czech Republic in the opening game. Also, when I was thinking about that, making me realize too that I seem to remember only the opening games of these tournaments better than the second or third group stage games. So I think for the World Cup, maybe I did even skip that first round of games and <laughs> just started the second and third so I remember them better. But I think what the question that, I, that I'm now asking about his legacy, and we obviously go back to his, the, the most, I mean, the biggest time when he was winning trophies, which is under the Pep Guardiola era, of course, when Barcelona were just, they were sucking him up like a vacuum. How much credit do we give the individuals who are part of all that winning, especially for the center backs for an attacking side? Because I, I do see people like it's fair for people to criticize again the contract situation with him, his personal life with Shakira, just the, the character that he is potentially, and this is a huge one, potentially a falling out with Messi and how that's going to affect how people view him. Sure, but just as a player, just as a legend of the club for what he did with the football when he was on the pitch. Yeah, I mean there are two ways of well, there are probably more than two ways if you go around the world. But obviously, the ways the the prisms from which I see see Gerard Piquet and how he how his legacy is viewed at Barcelona. The first one is here in Barcelona, from Barcelona, from people close to the club, from fans, from season ticket holders, and the second one is also from sort of perhaps more the UK than the US, but from the sort of English language, English sort of media point of view as well. And there's been a bit of disparity, I think, over this last week between. Um, I don't think anyone thinks he was a bad player, but there is, you know, Barca, I think um, he's probably viewed as, you know, definitely within the top five at the club of all time. I've seen, you know, Poyol and Mengele mentioned as the only ones who are up there with him. Some people say perhaps Kuman and stuff and whatnot, obviously. Different eras, different roles, different lengths of times at the club. Um, and yet in England, I've done a couple of radio shows and stuff where people have sort of been saying that, you know, you can't even put him on the same level as sort of, you know, like a Rio Ferdinand or, or Nemanja Vidic and that Man United back pairing and stuff. But when you when you look at what he's done and the consistency with what he's done it over, like you say, 14 years, this is his 15th season in the Barcelona first team. Um, he was signed pretty much as, you know, a backup at, at first and pretty much from the off, obviously not completely in that first season, but by the end of the first season, he was a regular. He's been a regular for those whole 14 seasons right up until the end of last season when he was playing through injury and was still, as he said himself, and I think it's hard to argue, you know, in that spell up until the 4-0 win at the Bernabeu and Barca went on a really good run, got themselves back in pretty much the running for the Champions League and eventually finished second. He was one of Barca's better performers, even playing injured. Obviously, the season tailed off with that injury and he's been phased out this season. So right up until then, really, he's been competing at a really high level. And like you say, that side of his game, I think, there's so many facets to, to PK. And like you say, being a defender in a team that, I mean, even in his last game, probably a perfect example when you're playing Almeria at home in, even though it was a 2-0 win, it could have been 5-0, you know. A lot of the time you're a centre-back and you pass unnoticed. But there are games where he can mix it up. Like you say, those international games, some of those big Champions League games where he's, you know, not to the level that you would perhaps think of like a Poyol or a Vidic or a John Terry because his reading of the game and the way he plays is different, but does mix it up. I mean, Luis Enrique today called him, you know, a competitive animal. Um, you know, his desire to win, his competitiveness, his battling skills, probably, even within Barcelona, probably a slightly underrated side of his game. You know, yeah. he's seen as like, you know, the Barcelona-style centre-back um, in some ways. I mean, his passing was good. I mean, there, was, there, there have been spells over the last two or three years where you notice when Barca had him and when Barca didn't have him just because of how much he facilitated them playing to their style so yeah I think I mean when you talk outside of Barcelona and within the world it's very very hard to form a list because there's been so many great centre-backs I actually did because of those debates I'd had on on English radio where they were sort of saying that PK wouldn't even be in the top 20 or 30 of all time I actually asked Javi where he would 
where he would put um, <laughs> where he would put PK. Although it's a difficult question to answer on the spot, I appreciate because there are so many. And <laughs> Javi's answer wasn't actually well. No, it was a good answer. He named um, Beckenbauer and Balassi as sort of like the top two, really. And then I think because he knows I'm obviously English, he said in England you have good ones as well. And he said Ferdinand and John Terry. And then he said, but PK is right up there with with all of them, and he is. And I guess he's he's in that. I mean. He's in that clutch of, you know, of great defenders because look at what he has won with Spain and Barcelona. 30 trophies with Barcelona over not just being in the team, but the consistency for 14 years, the desire to prove people wrong, the amount of times he's been written off, you know, three Champions Leagues, a World Cup, a European Cup. Yeah, I think his legacy with Barcelona will be will be good. Outside of Barcelona, perhaps slightly mixed, I would say. There are some people that, like I say, wouldn't put him up there with some of the best and perhaps have him in like that second, second tier. But even within sort of... You know, when I think of Gerard Piquet and I think of Gerard Piquet moments, like you say, in part it's because of his position within Barcelona. You know, he's a defender. You know, you think of Messi, you think of the goals, you think of, you know, Javi Iniesta, you think of skills or assists or certain things they've done. It's harder to think of, like you say, when we, when you think of Piquet moments, you do think of goals, but they're not the things that should define him really. That, the severe goal that you mentioned, I remember is, I've seen it quite a lot because of the celebration in the empty stadium in front of the camera. So that one's one that I've sort of seen a lot over the last week. But obviously the, the defending comes down to, to defend him. But also, I think there's another facet with Piquet is that when you think of Piquet, you're inclined to think about all the things that he does off the pitch as well. Um, mm-hmm. And you think of all the moments or the comments or the tangles he's had, whether it was with the, the one with Arbeloa, you also think of. Um, but also one for me, quite a personal moment for Piquet, which always stays with me, was just his reaction and speaking to him in the mix zone after, after that game played against Las Palmas behind closed doors in 2017, after the day of the unilateral referendum here in Barcelona when the game went ahead behind closed doors because of the police brutality and fears that perhaps you know that sort of edge around the city that day would spill into the stadium or whatnot and and Piquet's genuine heartfelt emotional uh, comments in the in the mix zone after the game also stayed with me as well because it's obviously something that was you know very personal to him I mean even to this day we still don't know whether he's pro independence or not we just know that he's you know pro right to decide but yeah, you could see how affected he was by that and how much it did mean to him, the club and, and Catalonia. Yeah, he is Catalan, uh, which again, I think is in, it's going to create, as you're saying, I think two different legacies, right? There's the fact that he is Catalan, the fact that he lives and dies by Barcelona, and that means something to the people in the city. And then when we're, have, we're listening to other media, as you said, to the UK, because the minute you said John Terry and Rio Ferdinand, I, I, I'm trying to, I don't know how many trophies they've won, but like PK's won what, double the amount of trophies or or they've won a th- or John Terry's won a third of the amount of trophies that Jared PK. And then that goes back to the, the question I even initially posed was like, PK has all those trophies. And I mean, Danny Alves has 40 trophies. So how much do you, how much credit do you give to the individuals for collecting those trophies they have? Or do you just kind of, again, give more credit to Messi who, if not for Messi, how many trophies does PK have? Right. Cause that's the immediate response to that kind of question. As far as bringing up where he ranks for Barcelona, not to say I'm unwavering with my list here, but I have Puyol. I think there's a there's a top shelf, and it's Puyol for Barcelona center back history. And then I think it's Kuman and Pique, and those you can almost change those around. But I think for me, it's Kuman because of his scoring acumen at the time and the way he led that team. And then Pique, because again, Pique kind of waited until he didn't even become a captain until it was a bit, you know, we'll say after the fact. And then I have the next level is Miguel and Juan Segarra. From the, from the 50s team. I mean, Sagato was just such an important captain in, in the club's history. And then again, Miguel, is just the, the, the Iron Man, was there for so long. And then Alex Zanko is number six. So I have that's my top six, not even top, top, top six, kind of in that order. And I'm pretty unwavering to that. But for PK, yeah, it's, it's interesting how English media is going to, to spin it. I also wonder, too, if the response from English media is because of the way that Barcelona is in right now. I think there is certainly, as you and I talk about, a sense of entitlement that is kind of being thrown back in the face of Kool-Aid's from all the winning that was done in the last decade. And I think people kind of happy for that short, that, that shot in Florida financially for the club to kind of to throw that in their face. And PK, of course, is a magnet, as you said, because he's such a personality, he's a magnet for the hate, for the vitriol, for the frustration. And I think, I mean, look, think back to the A2 Bayern Munich. I mean, I, I said it a few weeks ago that when I look into my, from all the pictures that I collected from that, from those matches and when I do the match reviews and things, Half of the pictures I have from all those European nights, from Roma, from Liverpool, from Bayern Munich, it's PK making a face. Like that's what the camera captured every time. And he winds up being he winds up being the image of Barcelona's best moments with the Manita and their worst moments in the last 10 years as well. And it just tells you how central of a figure he was. And then the final thing about PK, I want you to 
you know, put your crystal ball out and go like 10 years in the, in the, in the, in the future with his relationship with Messi, which again is possibly more strained than we even know 10 years from now. Do you think that there is no more information ever to have come out on their relationship on how they view each other? And they're both involved in the club in some capacity. Messi obviously will be involved in some kind of obviously ambassador, famous person role as connection to the club. And then PK obviously is somewhere involved in the board or some administrative role you'd expect. So do you think 10 years down the road they are coexisting? Or do you think that there is almost a reckoning for uh, PR for those two kind of being in separate camps in, in seven, eight, 10 years from now? It's a difficult question. Don't like to comment on it too much because of a lot of obviously what we have is secondhand information. Yeah. Um, sometimes from lots of times from from reliable people or or, for, or or that has come out at a time when it would make sense for it to be good information. But I still think that we can. I think we will see a future where they can coexist. I think you know these are two guys that have known each other since they were well since Messi came to to Barcelona when he was 12, 13. 13. They came through the academy together. Piquet obviously left and came back, but then had so much success in the first team together. I think that they can, if there was any sort of friction created from from Lionel Messi's departure, um, it's obviously not been enough to bubble to the surface beyond the, you know, reports that we've had, sometimes from reliable people about how, you know, Piquet perhaps not orchestrated Messi's exit, but fed into this idea that look, life goes on with, Without Leo, that thing that annoyed Leo. I guess the closest thing we've had is I think Messi maybe in one interview suggested there were some people at the club who he felt, or players or teammates who he suggested he wasn't, he felt could have done more or didn't do enough kind of thing when he was leaving. But no, I think that they can move on. Um, These things happen in football a lot. Um, They're obviously both huge figures in the club. A lot may even depend on, you know, how Messi's career ends now. I think if Messi, if Messi's career ends with a World Cup and a Champions League with Paris Saint-Germain, perhaps he won't look so badly back at his departure from, from Barcelona and be able to overlook it a little bit more. But, you know, the, Barca's future has to be, has to coincide with those, with those two, really. I, don't, I can't see a, I can't see it becoming, you know, a split where you have to pick sort of PK or, or Messi. And obviously they, they both have very different ideas for how they will be involved in football or with Barcelona. Once they have have retired, um, PK obviously in a more sort of presidential. Messi's most recent comments suggest he'd like to be some sort of sporting director, or or something like that. Whether we would see them working under together, I, I guess is a different question altogether, and would depend on timing as much as anything else. That could be a bit of a power struggle because I don't know what sort of president PK would be like. Whether he'd be able to just take his hands off and leave all the work to to the sporting directors and whatnot, or if he'd want to be involved in that sort. Of, but that's another another question for for years down the line i think they will be able to overcome any any problems i hope so yeah i mean i I get the sense that as a president i think i don't remember if it was a a trusted source or not but i saw that pk would want or at least want to kind of take the club in the direction of like how a Bayern munich is where so many of the directors so many of the people in the suits are former footballers or are people that have always been connected to the club or even front-facing figures and PK would trust them a little bit more in that fashion. So that would you that would make you question as to what role Messi would have. Last little addendum on PK is how I want people to kind of remember him too, is even though he did so much of his winning and he really became famous at 23 years old when, again, went to Pep Guardiola in the World Cup, he was 23, 24, he was a young player when he, we'll say, maybe reached his peak as far as winning, as far as being seen as, as this, this fantastic player. But he also, as you kind of mentioned last season, he he developed and that's kind of what's incredible about his legacy, that Barcelona, again, were in theory at their best when he was an ex- inexperienced player at his worst, when P- when Puyol was his his big brother or his dad or whatever you could say. So at his least and most inexperienced is when he did his greatest winning. I mean, he did only play 12 matches for Manchester United and did a season for Real Zaragoza where he was a regular starter by the end and started as a rotation piece, even at Real Zaragoza. Then the next year, he comes to Barca for 5 million euros, as you said to be signed for a backup. He developed, he took that huge step forward that first season. But then I, I think, yeah, he think he even aged like a fine wine. He did get better and better as time went on. And again, don't remember the last few months. It's kind of like the Shaquille O'Neal thing. I mean, it's nothing about big men, but don't remember the last few moments. Like remember even the time three, four years ago when, or even two years ago, when you could argue that, I mean, his prime lasted till he was like 34, 34, yeah, 34 years old. Like that's, that's a long time from 23 to 34, 11 years to 
in theory, be on top of your game. Again, I think what was interesting, even though he developed, he also had those inconsistent moments where you can name two or three seasons in the middle where you're like, was his head on straight? And I think that's what was so infuriating about PK because very much like Alba, nothing was ever physical. Nothing was ever about their skill or their, their abilities. It was all about what was happening between the years. Like if they were unfocused or was there something else going on behind the scenes that kept their attention, that seemed to be why their, why their form was, was failing, which I think is a transition, Sam, in talking about Osasuna because Barcelona's grit and their desire and their fight has certainly been under question for now half a decade. Like how much do Barcelona have in them to come back when they get punched in the mouth? Their resiliency, the, the, the ability to deal with adversity has certainly been hotly criticized for a long, long time for Barcelona now. But that win against Osasuna was historic. It was, it was a monumental comeback victory to go down by a goal and down by 10 men. Just for historical context, I mentioned, when Barcelona were down by a goal and losing at halftime and outnumbered at halftime, having conceded a red, they achieved two draws in the past. Back in 1970 at the Vicente Calderon, and then 3-3 in Vallecas in 1992. Those were the two times. This is the first time ever that Barcelona were down to 10 men and down a goal and came back to win in the second half. First time ever. And I think that does go a long way into saying something about Xavi. I mean, I think that's where we begin this, to talk about Xavi, the belief that the team has in him as a manager. The, it's, it's, whether the club believes in him or not, I think is almost irrelevant because, you know, if you're leading La Liga, I mean, unless your name is Anessa Valverde and you found the Champions League again, you're not going to see yourself kicked out of the club. But for Xavi, you know, he is a manager who takes Barcelona into first place into this World Cup break. And he did it in, again, historic fashion, having his, t- his club and his team rally from being down in a position they'd never come back from. And I think it's a really, really important win. And I don't want to understate the victory either. Yeah, well, Barcelona, well, I'm not breaking any news here, but it's always so difficult to judge Barcelona because any other club that would be top of the league with, you know, that Barcelona's record this season, 1-11, drawn one, lost one. I wouldn't, I know we have, even just ignoring the Champions League for now, there wouldn't be even any debate because even, even in that situation in La Liga, there has been some debate about whether Barca are truly sort of progressing in terms of their style or how they're playing. And there, there aren't many clubs that would, <laughs> the way Barcelona are playing, the results they're getting that would, that would complain, but that's always going to be the case at Barcelona. Javi knows that, you know that, um, everyone knows that, and it's the way it has to be. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of, I'm pro, I'm pro Javi. Obviously he needs loads more time, I guess. The progress um, in terms of aesthetically has perhaps not been... I mean, the job was massive, though, so maybe it, maybe the expectations were unfair. Has not been always as obvious to see in terms of performances, if not results. Um, but yeah, I think there have been a couple of huge results, which were hugely important for, for two reasons. Obviously, the fact that they were wins at Valencia, the Lewandowski goal, and then the comeback game against Osasuna, like you say. And I think they're important because... Barca going into the World Cup break, you know, Barcelona is a club that is capable of shooting itself in their foot from, you know, any sort of slight problem or polemic or if they'd have even just drawn or lost to Osasuna, then these next six weeks would have been all sorts of debates about, you know, Javi or certain players or whatnot. So I think it was important in terms of having that stability during this six weeks break and obviously important as well in terms of, you know, being top, going back above Madrid, keeping lead during the the break and coming from behind like you say the character I mean there's been a lot of I don't know if criticism and this isn't just the Barcelona you know the the in vogue at the moment is you know moan about teams celebrating wins or you know against teams that are perceived to be smaller or that are not for for trophies but this if you look at the celebrations from the the win over Osasuna and you look at who the players are who are leading it you know it's the guys like Balde, Gavi, Gavi the young guys, really, you know, some of the older guys are slightly in the in the background. These are guys that haven't won everything. You know, people go, oh, Barcelona, have, you know, these are guys that haven't won anything. They've been part of the Barca's first team, you know, for one, two, three years in some cases. And all they've known is, you know, setbacks, defeats, um, getting knocked out of the Champions League. Um, so these are big results and they're sort of creating sort of their own, own story, really. It's a new story for them. They're not part of, you know, the trebles in 2015, 2009. So, so, so let them celebrate. And I think those results are important as well in, in that sense, in that sense of like, look, we can do things, we can do certain things. But yeah, I mean, also important to remember that, you know, obviously the Osasuna game, I mean, Osasuna have been great this season. Um, they, they were perhaps, be- I mean, this is often the case. Um, I often find it as a Burnley fan, I often prefer to play against a team when they have 11 men than, than 10 men, especially when they're the, the bigger team. It can come some, come a little bit awkward. And then they, you sort of sense that with Osasuna in the second half, especially with that 
early goal from Pedri or Sassuna were almost sort of conflicted between what do we do here? We've got the impetus because we've got the extra man, but if we if we push, if we leave spaces, could we get punished? And then they had that. Obviously, they they wouldn't have so much of the fear against eleven men because they're more of an underdog. Whereas with that more equal thing, you I was not disappointed with Osasuna, but I just thought you could see the conflict that they had between between how to play in the second half. Um, so yeah, you need to sort of put each you know take things just slowly. I mean, the analysis is always so immediate. You know, Barca lose to Bayern bad. Barca come back and beat Osasuna good. Barca only beat Osasuna or it's only Osasuna, different things. It needs to be be gradual. And we've seen that in the league since Javi came in. We've seen that in the league. We now need to see that in 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 Europe. And, you know, in that sense, Manchester United is a great draw in the Europa League because, you know, Manchester United, not one of the top teams in England at the moment, but making progress under Eric Ten Hag will be a big game. It'll be a tough game in the Europa League. So it gives them a chance to sort of grow with these young players. You know, when you see, yeah, regardless of the moment Manchester United are in, going to Old Trafford for the second leg, obviously, that's huge in terms of experience for, you know, Gavi, Balde, Eric Garcia, whoever's playing at the time, Pedri still, Ferran Torres, Ansu Fati if he's playing. So yeah, you just need to see it over over, over time. Um, I don't think the demand needs to be to, to win the league necessarily this season. But yeah, they, they, they've shown in the league that they can compete now. They need to do it in in Europe. And obviously, they also need to sort of... I don't think that it's not that they're playing badly, but obviously the demands at Barca are that they, they can play can play better. Yeah, so three of my other like main headlines or things to focus on coming out of that Osasuna match is one, Lewandowski, by picking up those two yellows and then by making the gesture he did while coming off the field, looks like he's going to be suspended for the three or four matches coming back from the break, which is... Again, not great to have Lewandowski because how important his goals have been in the Liga. He is the leading scorer in Spain for a reason. And I think to that end, it's really telling, not even telling, but I think it's important for the narrative, right? Important for our our game match reviews and recaps that Rafinha was the one who scored the goal. The the same guy that less than 24 hours earlier had had that interview released when he said, I want to score more goals. I need to score more goals. And he has a, I think what could be a, I, I know now he has a month off, but let's say he goes and succeeds with Brazil at the World Cup. We can see Rafinha potentially turning the corner using that goal against Osasuna as a springboard to be an influential player at the World Cup. And then coming back to Barcelona without Lewandowski. And now you're, you're kind of coming back from the international break without him saying, Ferran Torres, Rafinha, Dembele, Ansu, figure some things out. We need to win in La Liga. So you've got three or four matches where the pressure is on you. The responsibility is on you. So those two things working in tandem, because again, it was, you talked about celebrations like Rafinha, there was a weight lifted. He needed to score. And so him scoring that, I think not to say defends the celebrations against Osasuna, but as you said, I mean, Osasuna has been good this season. I think the club and I think the players are much more aware of respecting their opponent than I think even the fans. I think there are times when Barcelona might overlook an opponent. And I think, you know, when that may be right. I mean, I think, Real Madrid has a habit of doing it too. They did a little bit against Cadiz last night, and yet they wind up getting through the way they need to against Cadiz, the way they're supposed to. But it, it's not easy. And these clubs, even at the bottom in the Liga, make sure it's not easy, even though the Liga as a whole in quality may have, may have taken a step down. And I think that is, to me, in the first half of this season, or the first part of La Liga, become kind of the narrative. Barcelona 11 of 14 clean sheets, but they've suffered. La Liga teams have made them suffer and I think that says what you need to say, that there are two teams that are above everybody else. It's Real Madrid and it's Barcelona, way above everybody else. They are getting the results, but again, the rest of the Liga is making them go through the worst of it. And I think that's part of, part of the story. And then the last little thing I want to throw your way, I know I'm throwing a lot at you here, is it's interesting to me, and I, I talked with Barcelev, um, a, a Twitter personality earlier in the week, are about Frankie de Jong and Sergio Busquets. And the question we posed was, when was the last time Barcelona lost a match where Frankie de Jong played well? And Osasuna was the exact same thing. Frankie de Jong played well, Barcelona won. And the same cannot be said in inverse about Sergio Busquets. That was maybe the worst, I don't know about you, but that may have been the worst at least 20 minutes <laughs> to start that game that I've seen of Sergio Busquets, arguably ever. I mean, there were a few times in the last five, six years where he's had a rough start, but you could say that many of his teammates also struggled. This was an independent thing where I, you could say Barcelona were not totally up to it, but Busquets was an anchor, almost dragging them down in a way in that first half. The mistakes he was making, the, the first goal, I mean, he he also, he creates the foul, then he's the one who, mano y mano, you can argue that Alonso got knocking, uh, knocked down and he could have blocked it, but I mean, if Busquets doesn't get beat in a one-on-one battle at the back post, we're not even arguing about Alonso being fouled at all, and, and 
Busquets is in 1v1, dead to it. So I have the sense, not to answer for you, but I have the sense that this rotation and the reliance on Busquets is not going to change in the second half of the season. I think Busquets is still going to be relied on heavily. I think he's going to arguably be the regular starter. I think we see a combination of Pedri, De Jong, Busquets, or Pedri, Gabi, Busquets. I think you still see that combination more than you see the Pedri, Gabi, De Jong that won the 4 nothing over Villarreal, which we have not seen since. Uh, I just think Busquets is... The, the step back that I think Xavi, that people think that Xavi is going to have for Busquets, I just don't think it's going to come this season. But it, there's also a world, because of these results, where Busquets is gone, as opposed to signing a one-year cheap renewal. There, I think because of these performances that says where he's going to be next season. And that's likely not at Barcelona. It's at wherever it may be into Miami or I mean, wherever, wherever it happens to be. Yeah. That's, yeah. I think the same as you, but, and um, I expect Busquets to leave for free when his contract expires in the, in the summer, save a big change of opinion, but it's interesting to hear Javi and especially Luis Enrique. I don't know if you heard speak about Busquets today. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was obviously put to him this idea. I mean, not an outlandish idea, Busquets going into the world cup at 34, that this would be his his last World Cup. And Luis Enrique was like, no, not at all. In fact, it's, I would like to convince him to play another World Cup. I mean, I can't imagine Luis Enrique is still the Spain manager in four years, but that's what he was saying. And he was explaining that if we play the way we want to play, then then there's no better player for Spain than than Barcelona. That being that Barcelona, that Spain in this case, you know, on the front foot, pretty much playing in the opponent's half, not giving up space. Um I think the problem is that, I mean, we saw against Osasuna, Barcelona can't guarantee that they're going to play that way. And when they're not able to play that way and not able to have things all their own way, then obviously it becomes a problem having having Busquets in terms of, like you say, that first 20 minutes against Osasuna was, I mean, perhaps an exaggeration in the scheme of where Busquets is, but it was really, really, really poor. You know, you gave, gave the ball away for the corner. It wasn't the corner, but the corner that led to the goal. Lost David Garcia for the goal. I think about three minutes later, gave the ball away again and Chimi Avila hit the hit the side net and it was it was really bad. But I, I don't think that we're going to see Javi phasing him out in the second half of the season. I think that Villarreal game was just a rest because it came at a time when there was match, 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 match. And I think everyone was getting a rest. I've been quite interested really that, I think, was it two or three games now that he's left Gavi on the on the bench? Could just be a World Cup thing. It could have been related to the, the knock he picked up in, yeah. I can't remember which game it was, an athletic Bilbao when he went off. Could have been related to any of those things, but it seemed, seemed quite surprising. I mean, like you say, De Jong completely deserves. Anyone that's read or listened to me knows that. I mean, I've tr- it's hard to work out because Frankie De Jong as a pivot is somewhere Frankie obviously thinks he can play. But, you know, the, I think it was Eric Ten Hag when he was at Ajax says that, you know, Frankie's not a single pivot. You need to play him as, you know, in a double or in another sort of role. But I just think we've got to the point where Barca should play that midfield. Um uh, De Jong, Gavi, Pedri, because you need to play it to give it continuity um, and to try it. I mean, it seems that De Jong is not going to be Busquets' replacement. They will sign you know, another pivot and they will keep either rotating Pedri, Gavi and De Jong or one day maybe maybe sell De Jong. Definitely not in January, I would say. Um, but who knows what will happen next summer after last summer. Um, but I, w- I would, yeah, between now and the end of the season, play, play De Jong. They give that continuity because I always think it's hard and not just on De Jong in this sense because he plays a lot of games but when you have players that don't play and then you sort of make 11 changes and it's like they all come in and it's a whole new team they're not played together they're not used to the mechanisms the passing and, and little things um, you need a run of four or five six games to really judge a team or a player like when you play and Ferran Torres did well for example against Victoria Pilsen but when you just you know bring when you were drip feeding Torres in and it's just like we're giving one game here and then oh he was no good we're dropping I don't think it's good for, for the player or for trying in that position, really. So I think just at some point there needs to be an extended run, in my opinion. I mean, it goes against, I think, what what Javi thinks of playing Frankie as the pivot with with um, with Gavi and Pedri. I liked it against Villarreal. I would like to see it more often. I understand Frankie de Jong is a very different player to, to Busquets. He can do things that Busquets can't, but also he can't do things that Busquets can. But I don't know if there is a player... Like Busquets, Busquets is a very unique player, and you know he's always, always been a very marmite player as well. You know, a lot of people don't see what he's good at. A lot of people have thought in the past outside of Barcelona that he's overrated or or whatnot. Obviously, for me, he at his peak during his you know like Pique as well. You know, for fourteen years, fifteen years, he's been at the very top of the game. But we are starting to see age catch up with him now, certain decision making, certain things. So I would be yeah, looking to to phase him out and play 
play De Jong more, even though he's still good on on his best. Yeah, it's a difficult question. I don't, but no, basically just comes back to your answer. I don't think we're we're going to see that. No. Well, I, I think somebody I, I don't remember who said it, so I unfortunately can't credit them. But somebody said that De Jong makes the difficult passes look easy and makes the easy passes look difficult. And Busquets is the opposite. That Busquets makes the easy passes. Well, he makes the easy passes look easy. And he also makes the difficult passes look easy. But when he doesn't, that's really when you see the issues because of the other holes in his game that have either eroded now through age or, or what have you. So, all right, Sam, I think that'll wrap it up. You know, you've got World Cup preparations to make and other business to attend to and continue to be a reporter in the city. Ground. I'm just going to edit the podcast here. So I guess the last thing, as always, I think most of my listeners at this point have an idea about Sampre Positivo. I, and I, I would hope to say that there's quite a bit of overlap so I always tell people, you know, just make about four hours a week for all of your content, whether it's the Barcelona podcast and Siempre Positivo with Rick and Tony, but anything else as far as to plug or, I mean, obviously you're not going to give away big stories or things you're working on, but where can people continue to find everything that you're doing? No, no, nothing majorly, majorly to plug. No, like you say, the, the podcast with Rick and Tony, Siempre Positivo. And also, like you say, there's, you know, there's so much drama and um, stuff going on at Barcelona, especially, you know, we're going to have a little bit of a break now, maybe with the World Cup in general, with the games, with the the soap opera off the pitch. There's enough room for... No, no, no. There's it's enough room. Room. It's transfer rumour season, Sam. Yeah, you know yeah. that. You know that. Probably, probably, <laughs> enough, probably enough room for about, you know, 10, 10 Barcelona podcasts in your in your week, but definitely at least two. Um, but yeah, in the meantime, yeah, just on... On Twitter, Samuel Marsden, if you want to interact, then yeah, write in on, on ESPN. Yep, that'll be in the show notes below. Again, you can follow him, Siempre Babativo, uh, us, Twitter and Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod as well, Facebook, Patreon, YouTube, you know where to find us, merch store as well. So thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon and for the Barca. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.